humans have been enjoying wine for 8,000 years or more, and there's never been entry exams, literacy tests, diplomas, or membership fees. You can go as far or deep as you want, or just take it all in and find your happy place. That being said, we like to spend our week looking for things that we can share with you in this space and time. We'll give you food for thought, ideas for adventures, and most weeks, tips, pointers, and insights that you can use the minute the program ends. Wine has always united us. It still does. And we've never needed that more. So climb aboard. There is no time like the present to get your adventure started. So here's your host, the doctor of deliciousness, the chairman of the Bordeaux, the top gun of wine fun, David Wilson. Every once in a while, I, I like to tune in to a, an old episode or two of The Twilight Zone, the old black and white show. I, I like the black and white ones. Those were the most interesting ones. And there is this one episode that I've seen a couple of times. And what it's about is there are these three astronauts and they crash land on a desert planet and they have no supplies. And so rather than just sit there, one of the astronauts says, you know what, I'm going to go out and see what I can find. And the other two decide they're just going to stay behind. And he takes off and disappears into the horizon and days pass and he doesn't return. And these other astronauts know that if they don't get up and do something, they're certainly not going to survive. So they take off. They follow his footprints. And lo and behold, they find him expired, face down. But there's a very strange drawing that he has made in the sand. And they can't, for the life of themselves, figure out what it is. And it's one very long vertical line. And then toward the top are other vertical lines on either side of the long vertical line. And so they decide that they're going to continue on in the same direction as the astronaut. And they're just about ready to collapse when they look up and they see power lines. You know, the power lines, just like what runs through our yards. And it turns out that our astronauts had crash landed on Earth and didn't know it. And so, you know, it makes me think about how many times I was so close to something but didn't know it was there. Now, why was I thinking about this? Well, it's because... As most of you, I think, know, and many of you, I suppose, don't, I am currently living in Italy. I was born and raised in California. This show, Grape Encounters, originated there. It's been on the air for almost 16 years now. And then I decided after we could go free from COVID that I wanted to try to present a different perspective about wine and everything that surrounds it, different from the American perspective, because we see things one way and out in the great beyond, people see things differently. So here I am, I'm living in a small town called Atri. It's a town of 11,000 people. It's medieval. We should call it a village. It touches the Adriatic Sea. It's dead east of Rome, other side of the country. This place has the most beautiful cathedrals and buildings. They date back a couple of thousand years in some cases. My apartment's like 800 years old. Looks brand new inside. On the outside, totally different story. Anyway, I came here originally in January. 
When I moved here, the place was dead, absolutely a ghost town. And I asked myself a number of times, David, do you really want to do this? Because there are other parts of Italy that are way more energetic, right? And in this area, nobody speaks English for the most part. There's a lot of elderly people here, not as many young people. But then something happened. So I take off about four months ago to do a bunch of stories in other parts of the world. I come back about 15 days ago and I return to a completely different place that is so energetic. I can't keep up with it. I mean, there's so much going on everywhere. You look at every square inch of this 11,000 person town and there's some kind of party going on. There's some orchestra playing over here, another orchestra playing in the municipal theater. There's some kind of performance going on in the middle of the square and then food. Everybody is outside. They've set up a massive number of tables. I mean, the restaurants have literally doubled and tripled in size. And you ask yourself, how are they even able to produce that much food so quickly? But they do it. And it is so much fun. The environment is just crazy wonderful. On Friday and Saturday night, you can barely move. And that's not the half of it, because apparently they're just getting started. The real action is on Monday. There's this thing called Ferragosto. I'm trying to wrap my arms around it. Apparently, I have to get ready for it, but we'll come back to that. Anyway, going back to the Twilight Zone show thing, I've discovered that here in Italy, in just this one area of Abruzzo, which is pretty well known, especially by real wine geeks, because there's some amazing wines here. The most popular is Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. It's a red wine, pretty heavy wine. Anyway, my point is, as I begin to explore beyond the city limits of Atri, I'm discovering that there are hundreds, and I do mean hundreds of villages here on the east side of Italy, and they're all kind of doing the same thing. There is so much fun going on. You can't possibly imagine. And it's not just like on Friday and Saturday nights. It's all the time. So one of the things that I wanted to tell you, and it's kind of why I brought this up, is that a lot of you have been writing me or posting on Facebook questions about where should I go if I come to Italy? Uh, if I come this summer or this fall, what should I do? And people generally have this idea that when it comes to wine tourism, they've got to pack their schedule with a lot of different destinations. Literally going not just from one side of the country to the other, but a lot of people want to go to Spain and France and Italy all on the same trip. They're going to try to do it in a week to 10 days. And I'm going to tell you that is crazy and don't do it, especially if you're doing a wine trip. Because you can go to one region in Italy, like Abruzzo, and the landscape and the sites that you see will vary so much in just a matter of a handful of kilometers. And there's really no reason to try to take more in than that. And you're only going to kill yourself anyway, you know? Here's the really cool thing about Italy. It's that when you go from one area to another, each area has its own customs. It has its own specialty foods. It has its own festivals. I'm talking about just a matter of maybe 20 miles away. So my suggestion to you is this. When you come to Italy, carve out a reasonably large size of territory and don't try to visit all of Europe because you're just going to miss so many things. When you get into a place like Autry, the first thing you want to do is find somebody who can tell you where all the hot spots are because I didn't even realize after months and months of being here that there were things going on that were literally, I would say, a tenth of a mile or two tenths of a mile away from where I was at. And that actually happened yesterday. Last night, I was invited to go to an area that honestly can't be more than a few blocks away. But there it was, sitting on this beautiful cliff, and I can see the Adriatic Sea off in the distance. 
And there's this wonderful wine tasting on one side of this park-like area. And on the other side, there's this really big patio area, and it's packed with people drinking local wines. And they bring out all these charcuterie platters loaded with uh, salami and prosciutto and cheeses and bread and all kinds of delicacies. And I mean, you name it, it's on that platter. And the thing is, it's dirt cheap. And that's really a funny thing, because if you buy prosciutto to go with your wine in the States, you'll get this tiny little package with these little thin slices. and You might pay as much as like 12 bucks for it. Well, here, it's nothing of the sort. It's just a couple of euros in some cases, maybe three. And if you buy a glass of wine here, you're probably going to pay three or four euros as opposed to, what, you know, 12 or $14 in the States? In the States, I see wine sometimes selling for 16 to $24, but the best wines here might cost you six bucks or eight bucks at the most. So my conclusion about this is come to a small town and find a really fun place to stay because there's lots of them. Lots of little bed and breakfast kind of places are probably going to be the best. You're not going to find big hotels. So park yourself and then go exploring and you will not be disappointed. Don't miss the forest for the trees because there's so much going on. And the way that they party here and celebrate puts America to shame. I'm sorry to say that. I love America, but boy, you should see what's going on here. I think it boils down to the fact that we just have a very different view of money than people in other parts of the world. I think money is so important in America. And I know for most of my life, all I could think about is how much money can I make? And in America, when we're thinking about wine, you go to a wine shop, you want a great bottle of wine, you're going to pay a great bottle of wine, I guess, is going to be what? You know, certainly $50, $60 is kind of the, the beginning spot. And it can be so much more than that. Here, it's really difficult. I'm not going to say impossible, but here it's really difficult to find a bottle of wine that is going to cost you more than, say, 30 euros. But it's the truth that you can walk into a store and you can buy something really exceptional and it's only, you know, maybe 11 to 15 euros and you're going to love what you get. And so people don't go out and do lavish things. They're so happy just to have a pizza every night, which is also a phenomenon because pizzas are so cheap. Usually people get a personal pizza and it's a good size pizza and it's going to cost like eight bucks and people want pizza every single night. And I asked somebody, how can you eat pizzas every single night? And they said back to me, how can you America? Americans eat hamburgers every day. All right, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. The only thing that Mendocino County winemaker Greg Graziano can't tell you about wine is how many different choices he makes. It's somewhere between dozens and cowabunga. Artisans like Greg don't count, they create. Did Da Vinci or Michelangelo take inventory? Let's just say that Italians like Greg can easily get carried away, especially when it comes to food and wine. Great wine is in Greg's DNA. His immigrant grandparents started making Mendocino wines in the early 20s, and despite being the head honcho of the much-beloved Graziano family of wines, Greg is just a humble, lovable guy. When you play in the dirt all day, you can't help but be down to earth. Ask your wine cellar for Graziano Wines, or just visit GrazianoFamilyOfWines.com. They've got five different brands. Why? Well, because Italians tend to have big families. Life is just more fun 
with a Graziano at your table. At MM Organics, we're surrounded by health nuts. That's because we're obsessed with lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, and the risk of cancer. We want to make weight loss easier and help you strengthen everything from your heart to your teeth, nails, and hair. Full disclosure, those health nuts are actually dry-farmed heirloom certified organic raw walnuts. Rich with essential vitamins and nutrients, they're vastly superior to other nuts. Imagine, walnuts can actually lower stress and boost your brain power. No wonder MM Organics customers are so darn smart. MMOrganics.com is where you'll find our uniquely irresistible raw walnuts, walnut butter, oil and flour, sprouted flavored walnuts, and decadent fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, which pair beautifully with our legendary two horse port style wine. MMOrganics.com, eating any other nuts is just plain nuts. Welcome back to Grape Encounters. Did you know there are more compounds in wine than in blood? Maybe vampires ought to rethink their drink. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and I just got through telling you just how amazing it is here on the east side of Italy. So many things going on, you can't even possibly imagine. And by the way, if you go down to the Adriatic coast, and I would say this, this is probably true all over Europe. You get down to the beach, you're going to see so many people, you can't possibly believe it. And they do that thing where they put these umbrellas out in the sand, and they're all like perfectly lined up. It's really super cool. And then there's all these restaurants that you can sit at, and you can and drink wine to your heart's content. And you know what they don't do? They don't pour big popular labels. I don't even know if they have that kind of thing here. They generally pour, you know, just wines from the region. And you don't see any mass-produced wines. Now, I know some of the big players here who do make large volumes of wine. And uh, I guess uh, uh, the lion's share of that wine is actually exported. But anyway, uh, going back to the the craziness here, even though it is already impossible for me to keep up with everything that's going on, I am told that in just a couple of days, if you think that it's crazy now, you will not believe what's going to happen beginning Monday, because Monday is a holiday called Ferragosto. It usually takes place around August 15th. And this holiday goes like way, way back to the time of Augustus in 18 BC. And Ferragosto takes its name from the Latin Ferre Augusti, the Festival of Augustus. Now, I guess you could probably call this the Italian Labor Day because Augustus realized that his people had just been breaking their back to accomplish all kinds of things. They had just had a big war victory. And he said, hey, you know what? Let's just throw a great big party. Everybody can just uh, take the day off and have a lot of fun. That's how it was back in 18 BC. But it changed a lot over time. And now the Italian people basically take off an entire week. And by the way, they start celebrating the week before and they just party until they can't stand up anymore. That's what I'm told. In fact, on Monday, there's going to be this procession that's going to go through our little town and it's going to be like hundreds of bulls, you know, cows, bulls, but the big bulls are going to be a lot of them decorated. People 
people they're going to be in costumes and this is also uh, partially a celebration by the Catholic Church uh, they celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary although this Ferragosto was not originally a religious holiday but anyway, there will be fireworks everywhere. A lot of them will be amateur fireworks because, you know, Italians are actually pretty good at making fireworks. There will be revelry like you can't possibly imagine. That's what I'm told. Next week, I'll tell you how it went, okay? Now, I live in a little courtyard which probably has about six or eight houses and apartments. And it's kind of, you know, off the beaten path a little bit. You have to go through a little tunnel to get there and then you get into this nice little courtyard. I am told that during Ferragosto, people will cram into this courtyard and every other courtyard, and the numbers will be to the tune of like possibly hundreds of people. And I don't know how we're going to do that, but they said, David, don't expect to get any sleep because it is going to be crazy. Now, what's really interesting about all this is it is a true Labor Day, and so there won't be a bunch of sales going on. Instead, all of the stores, all all of the businesses for most of the week or all of the week will be completely closed. And I'm talking about even essential businesses like, for instance, pharmacies. So if you don't go get your, your medications that you need, if you don't stock up on food that you need, if, if you don't get your act together before Ferragosto begins, you are out of luck. You're completely out of luck. And so uh, that's what I'm going to do today. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect, but I am looking forward to telling you about it. Now, you know, as I said, in the week before Ferragosto, they begin to celebrate as well. And it's actually the last like three weeks, they have built a stage in the piazza that I am near, which is only like, I'm going to tell you, it's probably 200 feet away. They built these gigantic stages. And I say stages because they built one stage and they had blues acts on that stage for days and then they tore that stage down because it wasn't good enough and they built a bigger stage a ginormous stage and I'm watching them build this thing and I'm going that has to cost an absolute fortune to erect this thing and then they have this very famous performer and I can't pronounce his name so I'm not going to bother but let's just say this was a show of epic proportions this is one of the most important performers in Italy, I guess. He sang everything in Italian. The place was just jam-packed. And get this, there was no charge for tickets. They just, the, the city, I guess, and their arts association, they just paid for it. It's This is such a strange concept when you think about it, that, you know, stores close and they don't try to make a bunch of money, that the cities and municipalities put on all this really cool stuff and they pay for it and people just get to have fun for a week, maybe two weeks. They can stretch it out kind of as long as they want. Now, from a wine perspective, this is going to be the week where they consume the most wine. It's just going to be, like I say, out of control. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. And by the way, there is so much great wine here, I can't even begin to tell you. 
Last night, I went to a little wine celebration where they had three wineries there. And there weren't really actually all that many people at the event compared to some of the other stuff that's going on. But there was a guy there. I got to tell you, he is the head of the Vintners Association for Abruzzo. And that is a really, really, really big deal. And I got to sit down with him and enjoy his company. Spoke a little bit of English, but I had a trusty translator with me, which I like to do. Next uh, week, I'm going to actually interview him. He's going to take a little time out from Ferragosto and come spend it with me. And what a down-to-earth guy. What's so interesting about being in Europe is that you can look everywhere you want to in the wine uh, business and you will not find wine snobs. I have yet to find wine snobs in Europe, except for a few places like where they have the Grand Cruz produced and bottles that will cost you, you know, $10,000 a bottle. Yeah, there's some stuffiness going on there. But I've come to a conclusion in recent months that Americans are actually the wine snobs. And I've been told this by sommeliers in the States a number of times that, you know, that we actually created the, the wine snobbery. It wasn't the, the French. It wasn't the Italians. It wasn't the Spanish. And I can vouch for that because I spent a lot of time in Bordeaux. And it's just little small family vineyards there, mostly. There are some big, um, important producers there. But for the majority of people who produce wines, all you're going to find is truly amazing, wonderful, nice people. So down to earth. And I have to tell you uh, in a moment about how we drank our wine last night because it's really super funny. And then something wine-related that I saw this morning that I just I was just shaking my head. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Did you know that some wines are just as delicious and desirable after a hundred years as they were when they were young? Hmm, should, should I be seeing a winemaker instead of my doctor? Grape Encounters will return right after this. Smoke from increasing wildfires is tainting wine grapes and vineyard executives are looking for new ways to adapt. Pure Fresh Wines O3 technology helps vineyards overcome the problems caused by wildfire smoke by treating grapes pre-crush to improve fermentation and overall wine quality, as well as removing smoke taint. For the typical winery, saving a full harvest of grapes with Pure Fresh Wine costs only 10 cents per bottle. O3 technology has been approved by the FDA and USDA. It leaves no residue and uses no chemicals. It provides many benefits to wineries, including the removal of sulfur, pesticides, and fungicides pre-crush, the reduction of bad bacteria and mold issues, an improvement in roundness and fruit-forward palate notes, and so much more. Most importantly, it safely and naturally breaks down smoke taint molecules to save grapes from damage. Rescue your harvest from smoke taint. Visit purefreshwine.com today. We're back with more Grape Encounters. Did you know that there are approximately 600 grapes in every glass of wine and about 3,000 in every bottle? And remember that breakfast cereal commercial that claimed there were two scoops of raisins in every package of their Bran Flakes product? It's a good thing most people don't drink wine for breakfast because the potential to have more than your fair daily share of grapes is definitely there. Thank goodness farmers grow more grapes than any other fruit. 
Aren't grapes groovy? How big the average fly is you know probably about a quarter of an inch would you say how can something that's a quarter of an inch long be so incredibly irritating i have this fly in the studio today and it is driving me out of my mind i can't kill it i can't stop it it will not stop bothering me oh gosh last night by the way i got attacked by mosquitoes uh, the italians they don't even seem to mind the mosquitoes but me i'm not so lucky Anyway, we're talking about seeing the forest for the trees. We're going to end the show by talking about a wine that is getting a lot of attention, and I'm probably going to poo-poo it, so uh, stay tuned for that. But anyway, this idea of not seeing the forest for the trees really came into sharp focus for me where wine is concerned because I was watching... A bunch of wine-related videos on YouTube, and there was this master psalm who's a really down-to-earth guy who made a point that I thought really hit the nail on the head, and I wanted to share it with you. And it's this. The way that we mostly drink wine is really off the mark because we're missing the point terribly. You know, we'll sit there and we'll dissect the wine and it, it, will, it will tell you all kinds of things that we think we taste in the wine and that's all well and good. And as I've said before, I, I participate in that exercise to an extent, but I think it's a time waster because wine should be something that brings us together, that brings us to the table and gets us talking about other things. It's a catalyst that I think can open so many doors. And we sit at the table and we look at this bottle of wine that was made by some family winemaking operation in, I don't know, Mendocino County or maybe the Finger Lakes or Napa, of course, maybe France, Germany, wherever, but we're sitting there staring at the bottle and we can't get past that label, especially American labels, which are just completely out of control because as I said, I think last week it was or the week before, for the most part, the labels on wine bottles do nothing, absolutely nothing to tell you about the wine inside the bottle. And so we look at something, a pretty graphic or something that's, you know, a very interesting clever sayings or whatever it might be we look at that and it sets expectations and then we drink the wine and it just it just doesn't somehow mesh with what we thought we were going to drink in fact th those graphics can just take us down the wrong road but regardless of all of that here's the problem and this is going back to that video that i watched we are drinking a product that has taken an immense, an immense amount of energy to produce. And in many cases, families have risked everything they have in the bank or mortgaged their house to get that wine produced. And there's a story behind the wine of struggle and triumph. And yet we just drink the wine and we miss all of the context 
of that wine. And so this uh, psalm in this video said that you cannot truly appreciate or enjoy a wine unless you go to the place where the wine was produced. You have to do that. And I agree, especially living in a community that is scattered about a large area dotted with small vineyards making incredible wines through a lot of sacrifice. And if you don't see that context, the beautiful scenery, the serenity, the joy, the kindness, the happy way that people conduct their lives, then you're not getting the full benefit of that wine. Because I can absolutely assure you that if you go out and make the effort to to really be where the wine was produced. And I'm not talking about wine festivals. Those don't count. And those are nice. I love them. I love food and wine events. They're great. But you have to get out to the properties where the wine is produced and you will love the wine so much more. And you know, I was looking to see if there was any study about this and I couldn't find one and I may have to be the person to do it. And what I want to do is I want to have people go to a winery and taste the wine after they've learned everything about the process that had to be employed to make the wine, and after they meet the winemakers, and after they experience the ambiance. So I want to, you know, measure their response to the wine in that situation. And then I want to give people the same wines, and they can try them in their kitchen under the fluorescent lights, and we'll see what a difference those two different scenarios make, I'm going to bet you that on average, people will enjoy the wine 40 to 50% more. And I'm going out on a big limb here, but I think it's a fact. Now, I saw something this morning that just blew my mind. I went to a little cafe, and cafe does not mean a place that you can go get pancakes and sausage and eggs. A cafe is a place where you can get espresso or cappuccino in the morning. A lot of, especially older men, will get glasses of wine and they'll drink a whole bunch of it. That's what they're all about. There's some food there, a cold pizza or some croissants or something like that. It's a place that's coffee in the morning, mostly, and then alcohol for the rest of the day. Well, I was sort of peeking behind the curtain and the proprietor of this shop had, uh, (laughs) there was a little table, all right? And on the table, she's got a couple of bottles, empty bottles, and they're like liter bottles that had wine in them. And then she's got these big plastic jugs. And they're like, uh, I don't know, probably about a foot and a half high. And they don't have a label on them. They have apparently white wine inside. And she's got a funnel and she's pouring from these plastic jugs into the wine bottles and then putting a cork back in them and then taking them behind the bar. Now, at first, you want to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe somebody's actually doing that. But then I realized that the people that are drinking that wine are loving that wine. Now, I don't think that this wine is bulk wine necessarily that was bought from a distributor. 
What I think it is is wine that was bought from a local winemaker that, for one reason or another, just wasn't suitable for sale, or maybe they didn't have very much of it, so they just sold it off to little cafes that would do what I just described. And that wine actually tastes pretty good. And I'm here to tell you that I've had a few glasses of it, and it's just very enjoyable when you're sitting with lovely people and having a great conversation mostly in broken English. It's just so amazing how different wine tastes if you drink it in context. And so I just want to conclude this part of Grape Encounters by saying before the break that the best thing that you can do for yourself, if you really are serious about wine, is to find your way to a wine region, any wine region, and stay there for a week. Go out and discover and experience wine the way it was meant to be experienced in context and without being obsessed about trying to dissect it and pick it apart. Because I can assure you that people here in the country that is the largest producer of wine in the world barely talk about tasting notes. They barely talk about it. And to make that point even better, I mentioned earlier that I got to spend some time with the person who is uh, the head of the Abruzzo Vintners Association. And Abruzzo is a very important wine region, a big wine region that doesn't get as much attention as it probably should, but it makes fantastic wines. Montepulciano D'Abruzzo is what you want to look for. If you go to a big place like Total Wine, they'll have uh, probably plenty of it. But anyway, I'm sitting with this guy and he brings over a bottle of wine and then he puts out plastic cups for everybody and we sit and enjoy the wine out of plastic cups. And it wasn't important to have fine crystal. It was all about the conversation and just enjoying the moment. And I could have had in my glass a terrible wine and it would have been acceptable under the circumstances. And so you've got plenty of time left in this year to maybe change your plans and really take your wine enthusiasm up to a higher level. We'll be back with Grape Encounters in just a second. And we're going to talk about something that's getting awfully popular that for me is not really a big deal. We'll be back in just a second. This edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. And when it comes to loving Total Wine and More, there is no bigger fan than your host, David Wilson, who reminds you to drink responsibly. B21. At every family gathering, my brother Steve and I each bring several bottles of wines and try to one-up each other. I bring wines from all over. Steve only brings wines from California's Mendocino wine country, where he's lived for decades. And even though there are hundreds of great wineries there he can choose from, he mostly brings wines from the Graziano family of wines. Now you'd think you'd see a lot of duplicates from past gatherings since most producers only make 6 to 12 wines, but Graziano has 5 brands that make literally dozens, upwards of 30 mostly Italian varietals, and all rock stars. Made by the real rock star, Greg Graziano. You can hear my recent interview with Greg at GrapeEncounters.com and you can find Graziano wines all over America or buy them online at GrazianoFamilyOfWines.com. I've never confessed how much I love Graziano wines to my brother and uh, 
let's keep it that way. If you tried a different wine grape varietal every day, it would take more than 27 years for you to get through the list. And while you're busy tasting all those choices, winemakers around the world will be coming up with countless blends to set you back. So, to uncomplicate things, we'll help you sort things out in the wine world and point you to the stuff that we think you'll find essential and unforgettable. Starting right here today on Grape Encounters with David Wilson. So I probably do not post as much on social media as most of my listeners would like me to. And even my friends say, David, post more stuff from Italy. But when I do post, I always get a whole bunch of people who write me back and they go, oh, you are the luckiest guy on earth. David, you're living the dream. And I just want to say this, that it's not all rainbows and puppy dogs. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to put yourself in a situation that is, you know, really wonderful and idyllic, but it isn't always simple. But I do want to say this, that if you're not having fun, then change it. And the whole point of bringing up this uh, sort of like Labor Day week that's going on next week here in Italy and actually gets expanded far beyond even a week. The point is, in other parts of the world, people are not afraid to shut down businesses and take their mind off of commerce for a while and really enjoy their lives. And I know, absolutely know, that a good portion of the people that are listening to this show are not having as much fun as you would like to have. And so we gotta make a huge shift out of that mentality where we commercialize everything and do everything to make lots of bucks. And so if other parts of the world can sell a glass of wine for $2, a good glass of wine for $2, then we don't have to be selling it for $28 in some shishi wine bar or hotel. It's, you know, we've got to refocus because we continue to move in that direction where it's all about the almighty dollar and other parts of the world are really outshining us when it comes to just having a really good time. And you know, after COVID, we're not the same people that we used to be. And that's why I chose to come here is because I needed to shake things up, freshen things up, get a different perspective, share with you a different perspective. I apologize if I'm kind of being hard on some of the things that we do in the States. But you know, I just want everybody to have a better time. And there is nothing that helps to bring about that kind of happiness than having joyful moments sharing a bottle of wine. Okay, now there is a type of wine out there that is getting a lot of attention these days, and I don't have anything particularly bad to say about it because it's just another way of making wine. It's not a wine brand. It's a type of wine. There are a lot of people that are trying to create a fourth category of wine. We've got red, we've got white, we've got rosé, but, and actually we could say sparkling too. So maybe we could call this a fifth category of wine. And that category is orange wine. And I started seeing it about 10 years ago, but now we're seeing a lot of it. And no, it has nothing to do with oranges, which a lot of people tend to think at 
first blush. But what it is, it's just white wine that has been left on the skins and seeds for a longer period of time, and it gets this deep orange hue. It's actually very pretty to look at, but basically it's making white wine the way that you would make red wine. And these orange wines are definitely much bolder wines. They got a lot going on, but for me, they can be pretty bitter. I don't really love them at all. I've tasted some that are really good, but I would say that most of the orange wines that I'm tasting are a bridge too far. What I mean by that is if you leave the skins and seeds in contact with the juice for a longer period of time, but you don't make it too long, then you will get these beautiful amber wines that are just, you know, really, really pretty and have a lot of nice characteristics in them, but they don't go overboard. I want to recommend if you really want to deep dive into orange wine that I think is really well done, Wine Folly written by Madeline Puckett, really has a, a great summary of what orange wine is all about. And by the way, uh, the book Wine Folly is, I think, the single best book for people who want to develop a really true down-to-earth relationship with wine. She gives you just enough geekiness uh, balanced with enough really wholesome down-to-earth information. I think there's no better person out there to get your information from than Madeline Puckett. So I really, really love what she does. Apparently this term orange wine was first coined by a British wine importer by the name of David Harvey. And then it kind of just took off from there. There's another term called Ramato, which means Auburn in Italian. And it's usually Italian Pinot Grigio that it's made from. But anyway, Puckett says you're going to taste hazelnut, Brazil nuts, bruised apples, wood varnish, linseed oil, juniper, sourdough, and dried orange rind in the orange wine. It tends to be pretty sour, too, like fruit beer. So that doesn't sound all that delicious, does it? And, you know, frankly, it isn't. But uh, there's also uh, something interesting about orange wine and it's that it gets its orange color from something called lignin and lignin is a really really interesting organic matter and it's what holds plants together it's what makes uh, walnut shells hard it's one of the most plentiful substances on earth and yet i don't know anybody that's ever heard the word lignin so next week we're going to talk about it because it's very important to wine it is inescapable in anything that has to do with plant matter it's a big part of of your diet and even though we, we talk about all of the different ingredients that we're familiar with all the time, we are not talking about probably the most significant ingredient in what we eat, especially if you're a vegan. So that next week, but anyway, that's what uh, gives orange wine its color. It's the seeds of the lignin. I guess by leaving the seeds in contact with the juice for a pretty long time, eventually the seeds begin to break down and release this color that is uh, what essentially gives orange wine its color. But a lot of other things happen in the process. 
I really don't find it to be a delicious wine, but like I said, I've had some that were pretty pleasant, but for the most part, I think it's a lot more hype than delicious juice, so I'll leave it at that, but we'll talk about lignin next week because I think it's something that it has been ignored, and it's very interesting and important. I hope you have an interesting and important rest of your week and have a wonderful week next week and go out and enjoy your life. Go to the lake if you can find one that hasn't lost all its water and have yourself a wonderful time. And I will talk to you next week. Are you following Grape Encounters on social media yet? You're not? Well, you should be. It's the best way to hear the latest, juiciest, unfiltered wine stories. It's also the single best way to keep our unpretentious, decidedly different wine conversations going strong. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Grape Encounters. For tons of content on Facebook, you'll want to join our Grape Encounters radio group page. Or if LinkedIn is more your thing, connect with me by typing Grape Encounters Radio or Grape Encounters David in the search bar. Here's the deal. The more you click, the more I'll pour.